Good evening, everyone. Welcome to the Enoch Pratt Free Library. Thank you for coming. Uh, my name is Greg Sesick. I work in the Programs and Publications Department. Uh, special thanks to PFLAG for their help uh, in publicizing our program tonight. Uh, if you haven't signed up, uh, there is a sign-up in the back to receive the library's uh, newsletter, The Compass, which comes out uh, every other month. Uh, this current one is all about the library's summer reading program for children and adults. We have over 100 programs a year in our Writer's Live series, so we hope that you come back. One of the most difficult things for a parent to hear from their child is, Mom or Dad, I'm gay. In this instant, a parent realizes that their child has a life beyond what they have known or understood. This fear is sometimes accompanied by a period of mourning over the life that the parent envisioned for this child that they love. When my son came out to me, I was deeply fearful that he could never be happy, and I felt profound sorrow, says Catherine Turk. She set out to educate herself and others about gay people and became a leader in PFLAG, which is Parents, Families, and Friends of Lesbians and Gays, wrote articles for various publications, and appeared on television and radio. An advocate for the LGBT people in her Jewish community, Catherine worked with D.C. Area Social Service Agency to establish ongoing staff education to ensure that their services and programs would be gay knowledgeable and welcoming. She has worked with rabbis and others to foster welcoming synagogues and has done outreach to Jewish families with HIV-positive members. Catherine Turk is a psychotherapist in private practice. In recognition of her volunteer service as the president of the Metro DC chapter of PFLAG, she received the STAR Award, the national organization's top honor for exemplary leadership by a parent in a local community. Co-founder and past president of the Gender and Sexual Advocacy and Education Program at the Children's National Medical Center, she now serves that program as senior consultant. Catherine and her husband, Jonathan Turk, live in Washington, D.C., where they raise their son and daughter and now entertain their five grandchildren. Mom Knows is a collection of her writings over the past two decades and will be for sale following the program. We welcome you, Catherine. Thanks for coming. Uh, I swear I never get used to this. I guess I shouldn't get used to it because it's very nice to be here. It's great in this library. Um, and I wanted to thank everybody in the library. There's Greg who introduced me. There's Teresa back there. There's Judy Cooper who helped arrange all of this. And um, I'd never been in this library, and it is absolutely beautiful. So I think in this historic room, and it's, it's wonderful. Um, my, I wanted to also thank my husband, John. Where is he, Jonathan? Who keeps me from being too attention deficit disordered. And um, he also grew up in Baltimore. And his father uh, was the commissioner of mental health. And his father has a house, a halfway house for uh, drug addiction, addicted people called the Turk House, which is really a wonderful thing. And, um, and also John remembers coming to this library and studying for his for his high school papers and so on. So there's and there's some history here. He went to medical school here, I went to nurses training here, and then we moved around the world. The other person I want to think is thank is Margaret Weisgall. The Weisgall family is another family with a big legacy in Baltimore, a big legacy in terms of their activism for civil rights. And Margaret and I have we have been friends, our families have been friends for years, but she's a very smart, knows everything about technology, and I am a dinosaur, so she's the one who initiated this, and, I, and she helps me all the time figure out how to navigate this new world, of which I am not very good at. 
The other person I want to acknowledge is my friend Greg Laney. Greg is a psychologist here. Greg, Greg has been my mentor. When my son came out, I called Greg. And Greg was, and I, had, I had gone to Antioch and gotten a master's degree in clinical psychology. Greg was one of my instructors. And he was actually one of the few gay people that I actually knew. This was 1989. And I went to, he said, come over. I went over to his house, and he has been my mentor ever since. Every, and, and he also is one of the people, for better or for worse, encouraged me to write this book. And he and I put the book together the first time, uh, and he printed it out, and I couldn't believe the whole thing. So thank you, Greg, for everything that you've done. He's been an extremely important person in my life. Okay. Um, well, here's how I think the evening will go. John is going to be my timekeeper because once I get started, I never know what's happening. So I'm going to talk. I'm going to read some of my essays, and then it, it take about a half an hour. He's going to remind me when I have ten minutes left, and we'll see where we are. And then we want to open it up for discussion and anything that you want to share. Please feel free to do that. Now, I'm going to uh, I'm going to read my story because if I tell it, it'll take me half an hour. This is my story. Our journey began when our son was in nursery school. When I got a call from the teacher, she said, "Mrs. Turk, there's something wrong with your son. He's playing in the dress-up room and not with the trucks and balls." That was 1972. Psychoanalytic thinking was big at the time. When we sought psychiatric advice, the intervention centered around the theory of too much mom and not enough dad. It turned us into gender cops, preventing our son from playing with girls, expressing his feminine interests, and forcing him into contact sports. We subjected him to years of intrusive, harmful therapy, all designed to prevent him from becoming gay. People do not become gay. They are gay. I call it physician-assisted child abuse. When Joshua came out, I was bound and determined to change things, starting with the little kids. I met a child psychiatrist, Edgardo Menviel, at the Children's National Medical Student, at the Children's National Medical Center, and co-founded a support program for families of little kids that were different in their interests and probably will later identify as gay, sometimes transgender. Before co-founding this program, I healed myself at PFLAG and empowered myself as the, as the chapter president. This book is the collection of essays that I have written over the last 20 years, beginning when my son came out in, eight, in 1989 at the age of about 21. Okay. Now, here's the book, and I will just, this. I'm going to kind of pick e essays from each of the chapters. This is the introduction of the, this is how the introduction starts, and my husband loves this, so I read it at every, every, every talk that I give. Linda Goldman, in her book, Com Coming Out and Coming In, uh, wrote this simple story. A gay teenager was afraid of, afraid of coming out to his mother. He asked his sister to tell her for him. He would leave the house and come back in an hour. If it was safe to come in, his sister would put the porch light on. When he, filled with anxiety, returned to his home, every light, 
Downstairs, upstairs, basement and attic was brilliant with affirmation. This book is about the illumination of not just loving your your own child, but the illumination of full appreciation of our LGBT children, past, present, and future. So that's how the uh, the book begins. In 1994. Uh, um, 1994, at the beginning of 1994, I became president of PFLAG. And actually, I had never written anything, maybe a little bit, but not much. But when I became president of PFLAG, they said, you have to write a president's column. And so I thought, oh, my God, what am I going to write about? Well, it didn't take long to figure out that I had a lot to say. And so most of the most of the stuff in this book are, were in the P flag newsletter, and then to my amazement, people kept picking it up and picking it up. And what I'm going to read here was picked up for by a rabbi at Addis Israel Congregation in Washington D.C., and she read this at the high holidays, where every Jew in the world goes to synagogue, even if they don't do that. So I thought, oh my God, this was really a great honor. And this was now, remember, 1994. It's a while back. The first year of my PFLAG presidency has just ended. I Recently, I spent a day at the Whitman Walker Health Fair. And this is a clinic for gay and lesbian and transgender people in Washington, D.C. As I participated and listened, I felt sobered by the knowledge, knowledge that the AIDS curse is made so much worse by the homophobia in our society. I left the fair in a funk and a lot at a loss for what to think. Then I spent the evening with a good friend. I was glad to take a walk around her neighborhood as the golden glow of the setting sun shed its peacefulness on the world around us. We came upon a small sparrow surrounded by three large black grackles. One by one, the grackles descended, picking up the sparrow, ascending for a few feet, then dropping the sparrow to the ground the way gulls do with oyster shells to break them open. The bird appeared lifeless, and my friend was sure it was dead. We passed by, but something stopped me. I had to be sure. My friend was reluctant to go back. I was embarrassed to press the issue, but I had to be sure that that bird was really dead. She agreed to return to the scene. I reassured her that I was not going to make a big deal out of this. We shooed the aggressive grackles away. When we looked at the motionless clump of ruffled feathers, we saw that its eyes were alive, its breathing rapid and almost indiscernible. It was dying, but not dead. I suggested that we find a box and let it at least die in peace. We found a box in a trash bin nearby, scooped up the motionless bird into it, and carried the box to the garbage can. We laid it carefully inside the can, the bird on its back, its feet pointing towards heaven. When Then I looked at my friend, and my friend looked at me. We knew we couldn't abandon this bird on a heap of smelly garbage. And then something happened to us. We started thinking not of a peaceful death, but the possibility of life. We retrieved our little boxed bird, looked inside, and found him still in a sorrowful state. But his eyes were still alive, so we decided to take him to the nature center, which was a mile away. We were energized, thinking somebody could help us, and we tried to hurry while softening our stride to gentle the ride. The ranger at the nature center was very nice. We wanted just to leave the bird with her, to let, to let her take away our burden. But she declined. She said the person who rehabilitated birds had moved and there wasn't anyone to replace him. 
She suggested that we just put the bird in the woods and perhaps it would survive. So we left with our bird. When we looked inside the box again, the bird was right side up, huddled in the corner. Our commitment was renewed. We decided to take the bird home and give it food and water. We were planning our course of treatment as we headed home, realizing that if we didn't save this creature, no one would. We arrived home. We put some water near the bird's beak, the hush of the twilight setting the scene for our vigil. We waited and we watched, and we saw our little bird drink. We saw it get to its feet, and we saw it looking around, and then it flew off. I thought about that bird all night, about how I was almost too embarrassed to tell my friend that I wanted to help it. I almost left the bird for dead in the garbage can because I didn't want to impose on my friend. I thought about how my compassion was infectious and how easily my friend was able to share it. I thought about how our lethargy caused us to want to pass the responsibility on to the ranger. I thought about how we had become a team and how invigorated and alive we felt when we decided to commit ourselves to making sure that we did all we could. We gave it the love of our good intentions, and our bird did fly. So that's the first essay in the book. And I think it speaks to what we as allies, parents, and everybody can do. Um, this next essay is called P-Flag is for Bubbies Too. Bubby is grandma. And this is in honor of my, my mother-in-law, who was the most wonderful woman in the world. Is P-Flag for Bubbies Too? Barked the rasping telephone voice one afternoon, shortly after my son came out to his grandmother. She knew that John and I had found the support groups essential for our own coming out in full affirmation, but we were still a little surprised when the request came over the phone. It's a, it's a hard life for gay people, she said. I better learn a little bit about what a bubby can do. So she came with us to the PFLAG support group. She was 82 years old, quite hard of his hearing, and visually impaired. As at PFLAG's meet, meetings, attendees were separated into small discussion groups, and family members were discouraged, were encouraged to join a different group. I could hear her from the next room barking out questions. What's the matter with you that you should treat your child like that? Children don't choose. I learned that from my grandson. She would boast. An old woman can say anything she wants. And that's what she did that day. Months later, after hearing how parents too have to come out of the closet, Bubby shared with us that people in her retirement home's current events class made some homophobic remarks. During one session where the Pride Parade was discussed, someone in the class wondered who would go to such a parade. Bubby spoke out, What do you think? that gay people drop from the sky? My son and my family go because my grandson is gay. And she left this absolutely priceless message on my answering machine. So proud of what she did. When I became president of Metro DCP flag, Mother Turk, which is what I called her, said, that's the thing to do. She reminded me how she had taken over as the den mother of a Cub Scout troop that, sh- that didn't, let, didn't want Jewish kids to belong. That took care of that. When my husband John was in grade school and getting bad grades in writing, she was there setting the teacher straight. Give him an A, he's going to be a doctor. Doctors don't need to know how to write. <laughs> Protecting the kids was the 
Turk thing to do. So that is honor of my wonderful, our wonderful Bubby. Now, as we all probably know, the Supreme Court is going to be making some decisions, some very important decisions very soon. So I thought in honor of that, I would read an essay that is part of my chapter called Sex, Love, and Marriage. And, I ha and it is really, it talks, this is a chapter that really can educate people about human sexuality, about gay sexuality, and people sometimes have, that is a stumbling block for them. So I don't read any of the essays because I never know exactly who's going to be in the audience, but if you buy the book, be sure to read that because I can promise you you will learn something that none of us knew anything about. So this is about June Ways. Now, this was written in 1998, which is a long time ago, and many wonderful things have happened. The, the wedding, let's see, the wedding thing, or the lack of it, for our gay children has been an ongoing thorn in my side. I have been avoiding as many weddings as I can. At first, I didn't go because they made me sad. When t but with time, that stage passed. Now weddings make me mad. Because my son is in his early 30s, most of the children of my friends are at the marrying age and stage. This year, I attended the wedding of our closest family friend's child, my son and his partner of five years, my son-in-love, I call him, was also there. There was no apparent discomfort with them being there as a couple, but they did not dance. On several occasions, as my husband and I danced, I glanced at their table to only to find them sitting there alone where every, while everyone else was on the dance floor. I guess they felt that having two men dance would fall into the category of in your face, or worse yet, public display of affection category. Even holding hands for gay people is equivalent to deep prolonged kissing for, state, for straight folks. My son and his partner seem to take this in stride. I think they feel grateful to be included as a regular couple and don't want or have heard many gay people say to, they didn't want to make other people feel uncomfortable. As their mother, it makes me uncomfortable to realize that they are probably right. I do understand the discomfort involved in the first encounter with a gay couple. When my son for, brought, brought his first boyfriend home to, uh, for us to meet, we were nervous, and they were nervous. But guess what? It took us about all of five minutes to get over it and realize that they were just like every other couple. I am getting a little impatient, and I'm asking our straight world over and over again, isn't it time for you guys to get over it? Our kids are the way they are from the very beginning, not better, not worse, just a little different. When they fall in love, everything is exactly the same. All they want is a normal life. They want life partners. They want to nurture like the rest of us. They also want to dance. So that was written a long time ago, and hopefully that will be part of the Supreme Court's decision to free us up to allow people to dance. Now, my son has three children that they adopted in the District of Columbia. If you look, if you, you don't have to buy the book, but you must look at my grandchildren. My grandma brag book is in the middle of there. So they have a normal life. 
but not they live in the District of Columbia. If they lived in Kansas, it would be a different story or somewhere else. So that is honor of the Supreme Court. So we're sending good vibes to all those guys and women who are going to be making a decision that is going to be very important. Now, as I mentioned, um, I, we started a program that really at the Children's National Medical Student, Medical, I don't know why I keep saying Medical Student <laughs> Medical Center. And it is... Um, it's for little kids who were like my son. And it's for their families. We, so we have a support group for the families, and we have also a play group for the kids. Now, these are kids who like girl things, like to dress up, like to be princesses, and it's very, it's okay for girls to like boy things, not okay for boys to like girl things. Now, I think this is a there's something really important to know about these kids. Um, and and uh, Mindy and I had this discussion, and this is a question that people ask. There have been several studies asking men and gay men about what they were like as children. This is a group for very small children. I mean, they're, the average age is about eight. So they ask gay men and straight men, actually, what were you like as a child? One-third of gay men said that they were pretty typically masculine. So, so that's an important thing. The one-third said that they were just gentle boys, sensitive, artistic maybe, interested in sports, interested in aesthetic things, but they didn't really like a lot of rough-and-tumble sports. And, um, and so that was the gentle group. And then one-third of the boys said they just, when they were little, they just liked everything that was beautiful. And when we think about beauty, we think about purple or pink like they do rather than brown. So these are so it it I mean, what it says to us is that there are different ways of being girls, whether you're straight or gay. There are different ways of being boys. But in our society, we only accept boys that are real boys. And that really needs to change. And so, and when we ask in this study, straight men, what their childhoods were like, one-fourth of these men, this was a while ago too, said that they fit into that, that, that middle category, the gentle boys. And in school and so on, they get stigmatized as much as gay kids would. So it's a very important thing to understand that that's okay. Thank you. So now in my book I talk a lot about our program. And there are many essays. Uh, we have a camp called Camp I Am. And uh, so that but this is the way the chapter starts. And this will give you a sense of the anguish. A boy book, more butterfly than bumblebee. I recently spoke with a mother who began allowing her son to play with the girl toys and clothes that he so yearned for, but his dad so far could not bring himself to allow it. So the little five-year-old made a book. He drew boy objects, a ball, a truck, a train, a cowboy, a policeman. He carefully stapled them all together and presented it to his mother. I'm going to study this book every day so that I can learn to like boy things so my daddy will love me. So that is the way that chapter, and that is definitely a true story. Now, when I was growing up, I didn't really actually think about this very much 
because I was a big tomboy, and it was fine to be a tomboy, and nobody cared. And I and I then I just really about a year or so ago, I I wrote this essay called My Glory Days about my life as a tomboy. Now, once I became boy crazy, that was gone. But I still look at it as one of the highlights of being a girl, as doing all those boy things, wearing boy clothes and so on. But I didn't want to, it was a different time. We didn't think about whether kids were gay or lesbian. And it was girls, so it's okay. But I, I didn't want to have people that have children who have problems this day being that hardcore tomboy to feel like I was minimizing the problems that little girls can face when they're very hardcore hardcore tomboys. So I wrote this, or I this is a something from a parent. It's called Far From Glory. It can be difficult to grasp the intensity of some gender non-conforming children's feelings about how they want to be perceived. This note, written to a classmate by an eight-year-old gender non-conforming girl, is a cry from the heart that speaks volumes. To Richie, please just call me a boy. You don't have to think I'm a boy, Just call me one, please. Richie, you don't know how hard my life is, this eight-year-old. It's like the new kids come to school, they just call me a girl. I don't even think my mom and dad like me. My, My life, in fact, the whole thing is messed up. So call me a boy from Sam. So you can see how a group for parents with children like this uh, can use the support and they can help their children cope with the stigma that comes when people don't fit into these little two boxes that we think of as gender norms. Okay, this is going to be my last... Well, actually, let's see. Uh, Okay, well... Okay, I'm just going to read this. As as the story as the story goes, the mother was doing pretty well accepting her gay son. He was in college now and 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 was dating a lot. The flower of the week was the way she described it. At first in high school his boyfriends were passers, typically looking typical looking guys. But as he began to explore his more feminine side, he was more attracted to the flamboyant kind. He brought his new flower of the week to his sister's graduation party. Everyone there was mostly a conservative crowd, she said. And then the young man and then the young couple arrived in all of their fabulousness. Blonde, dyed hair, tight pants, silky colorful shirt, and eyeliner. Just a little. But it was there. Then came the public displays of affection. Yep, that too. No one said anything. They wouldn't, but they didn't have to. So what's a mother to do or say? Perhaps I would like you to act normal. No, no, too homophobic. Perhaps this is inappropriate. Who says who? The dress and the presentation, well, okay, but why the -the over-the-top PDAs, displays of public affection? It's a reasonable question. PDAs in any flavor don't sit well in a mixed-generation crowd, at least in our culture, but think about it. When this boy was little... At McDonald's, he always wanted the girl toy. And and the response he got was, no way. He was gentle and didn't like contact sports. No way. He had to play sports in his all-boys school and be a real boy. So his mantra became, better be careful, very careful. 
learn to censor, learn to sneak, learn to survive, learn to hate yourself and fear your feelings. And then one day he came out. This was a real struggle, probably with more pain and anguish than his mother felt giving birth to him. He finally felt free with all the joy that that brings. So the tables were turned. This time he could watch them squirm. It was payback time. So that gives you a little insight into, into teenagers. Now, I'm trying something new tonight. The books, I use, the, the cost of the books are usually $18. That's high in Judaism. Life. And, but tonight, I'm going to sell two books for $20. And what I would like you to do and there's written on these little pieces of paper in the books, I would like you to think about a person that you might give the book to that would be unlikely to ever read a book like this. And maybe somebody will come to your mind, and I've written these two little things that are in the book. This is for you to read to give you an idea about an unlikely reader, I call them. And this is for the reader who may read the book that you've given them. Okay. Now, how did I get this idea? Here's what happened to me, which gave me the idea. I knew that I wanted to reach beyond the crowd, and it's very hard to do that. People think they don't want to know more about gay people, or they know enough already, or whatever. So it's hard. So here's what happened. This was last year when the book first came out. My Honda Odyssey van strained to make it up the hill of my street. It did not do well over the bumps, but we had made it home from Ohio with over 1,000 pounds of books. Um, now we sat in the car in front of our house. Soon a friend arrived who had volunteered to help us put the books in the hall closet behind the coats, so I thought. Each book box contained 36 books. Each book weighs one pound, too heavy for my husband John's ailing back, too much for mine and my friends also. As we peered into the van trying to develop a strategy, I noticed that there were three young men doing yard work next door. In chatting with them, I learned that they were from Jamaica. I offered them the job. We bargained for a while, settling on a price. One man was very outgoing and very talkative. We watched them with envy as they carried two boxes at a time into the house. To my horror, the, horror, the, the boxes filled the entire closet. So what do I do with all these coats, I asked my talkative helper. He smiled and replied, it's summertime, you don't need coats. Did he actually think I would be getting rid of 1,000-plus books by winter? Think again. The coats found a, a home in the basement. When I, when I read my talkative friend's T-shirt, which said, Jesus saves, accompanied by a big cross, an idea was born. I'll give him a book. Let's strike a deal, I proposed. I'll pay your original asking price for your labor as long as you promise to read one of my books. I told him that I would put the book in a paper bag and only when he got home could he look at it. But before he looked, but before he looked at it, at it, he had to take a minute to promise to open his mind and open his heart. He made the promise. He seemed very pleased with more money and a new book. But then he proceeded to take the book out of the bag and shake his head in dismay. This is not the way God intended things to be, he said. His smile was gone. I reminded him that he had broken his promise and that he had forgotten about opening his heart. He agreed to give it another try, putting the book back in the bag. His two buddies looked on. I'm not sure they quite got it. 
They left with plenty of handshakes and expressions of gratitude. When they were gone, I got a little scared. I thought, I th- a thought entered my mind. Maybe they'll come back and kill me or rob me. My friend delayed my fears, but he was skeptical about him reading the book. Two days later, I saw my Jesus Saves t-shirted friend outside talking to my husband. He looked very friendly. Then he came to the door, and he said, I read your book. I understand things that I never understood before. I did not know any of this. Your son Joshua is blessed with a mother like you. I hope Joshua stays happy. We parted with a big hug, each of us with teary eyes, with the magic that happens when different lives touch, the magic that can trickle down to who knows where. So, <laughs> I hope you will find a person like this young man. I have, I have a website which my daughter set up for me. Thank you, Jennifer. Um, and I am collecting stories of unlikely readers. So I've got a few more of my own stories there, but if you have stories of unlikely readers, you can send them to me, and I will put them, I will put them on my website or whatever, whatever. So um, that is all I have to say, and now we can have a discussion uh, for whatever, 20 minutes or so. So do you have any questions? <coughs> yes. It, 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 I think my daughter's gay. I'm not sure if she is. Mm-hmm. But what I'm thinking about is for a boy to show gender difference early. Mm-hmm. For a girl to show gender differences as a child. Mm-hmm. It is. You're absolutely right. And, and you, you yes. Even earlier, that yeah. Right. Mostly with boys. We started out with this group. There was not a parent of a girl until about three years ago. And the other thing is, is that if you ask women about their childhoods, between 30 to 50% of women will say that they're tomboys. So is there's not a high correlation as identifying as a lesbian when you're a tomboy. But with the boys, there is a very high, there's a very high co- correlation. I find that other moms who have daughters who are gay. Um, I'm not certain that my daughter is gay. Um, I've been trying to lay the foundation. Yes. I'm... Accepting. Yes, good. Um, I can know a thing from Mr. Rogers, because Mr. Rogers was accepting everything. Yes, he was. That's he was. Um, I, I've got several questions. But, but the, the, the PDA thing? Yes. The concept of... Can people hear me? This is for yes. a podcast. No, people in the back, it's hard to hear. Okay. Okay. So, PDA, Public Display of Affection. Yes. Um, that Obviously, it's got a, 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 an acronym already. Right. If I saw a man and a woman right. showing incredible infection right. in public, I feel it's distasteful. Yes. Is there some kind of thing that well, right. people, you know, like, ha ha ha, we're and we're going to show you what we right. what we do. I, I don't get yes. it. Yes. Yeah. Well, I find it yes. But the problem is, is that heterosexual people, if you saw them in a deep, passionate kiss. That would be probably an offensive for some people, uh, a d- public display of affection. But the problem is, is that people put that in the same category as two, cu- as as a gay couple holding hands. So I mean, that is the, so that's that's the point of that story, is that it, it, that's considered 
uh, uh, distasteful because that makes people feel uncomfortable. Look, there are two men who are holding hands. In Latin America, that's common. It is, but I'm talking about, you're right. And in different cultures, it's a different thing. But in this country, unless you are in DuPont Circle or Rehoboth Beach, it is not safe to walk around holding hands if you are a lesbian if you are a gay man you are in danger of getting beaten up i know it would be and we're moving towards that that is right that's right that would be good i'm i'm all for that but and but also, I mean, the things are different. But you know, we live in urban areas. You go out in Kansas, you don't hold hands if you're gay. <laughs> I mean, or wherever out there. Especially in right. Yeah. Well, I just picked Kansas because that's where Dorothy was from. Yes. <laughs> I had a question about your um, reading about the young girl Sam. Do you know anything about her? How old she is now, or anything about well, her? Well, well, that's a really good question because. When we first started the program, the parents were concerned about their kids identifying as gay because remember, this was 1998. What's happened in our society is that there is now this conflation between gender non-conforming children and transsexualism. Transsexualism, I mean a person that is truly born in the wrong body. So we are going through this phase now of, of trying to identify perhaps the difference between the childhoods of a trans person and a gay person. Most of the boys in our program who, I mean, we're talking about hundreds of boys now. We have a big listserv of over 500 people. Most of those children will, will identify as gay. It is hard, to, much harder to tell about the girls. So it is, again, you don't, parents have to understand that they are not going to know how their children are going to identify. You, it's like the woman who has things, it is your job as a human being to identify your sexual orientation and your gender, and they're different. One is how you feel as a man or a woman. The other one is who you're attracted to. It is up to them to sort that out and tell you. In the meantime, we don't know. But what we can do, which is what you've been trying to do, is say to kids, everybody, it is, there's just more than one way to be a boy. There's more than one way to be a girl. There is diversity in being a human being. And diversity is truly a beautiful thing. That's what I tell the teachers. You know, you have this wonderful opportunity to teach kids from a very early age. We don't have one kind of butterfly. The beauty of nature is in its diversity. And that is the beauty of in the animal world, and we are animals. So it's this, that's, I mean, this is a way teachers can easily get kids to understand that pink is not a girl or boy color, that, for instance. Uh, so there's lots of, there's lots of, I hope that answers your yes. question. It's Thank hard you. to know how they're going right. to identify. When they're hard girl tomboys, the parents are absolutely sure this, is, this kid is going to grow up and want to have a sex change operation, which is fine, but most of them do not. And many of them do not even identify as as lesbians. So it's with the girls. The boys, it's different. It is really different, although most of the boys that are gender non-conforming, that one-third, they still, almost all of them, identify as being gay and do not really feel that they are born in the wrong body. So we're in the middle of this thing because transgender people or where gay people were 20 years ago. We, uh, we watch television. We see transgender people now. They are where gay people were. 
transsexual is a person from the very get-go is not comfortable with their body. They are really people, and there's a but it's tr- that feel from the very beginning that they are not the sex that their body tells them that they are. No, no, no. It has nothing to do with surgery. It has something to do with the way you feel. It has nothing to do with surgery. Some people have surgery. Some people don't. It has nothing to do with that. It is the way you feel about being a girl or a boy. Anybody has yeah. wants to I'll add that? Most transgender, not most, but there's a large proportion of transgender people that don't necessarily have the surgery as part of their transitioning. Right. What's the difference between a plain gay man or a lesbian woman I mean, is it the degree of their feelings? It's about, it, yeah, go ahead. It, well, it's, it's about, we now remember, sexuality is who you're attracted to. That is very different than who you, that how you feel, it, what gender you feel you are. So I feel I am a woman, I am attracted to men. There are other people that feel that they are women, but they're attracted to other women. But there are some people who, from the very... It's not about sex. It's not about sexual feelings or attraction. It is... Have, you have this feeling from the very beginning. And a lot of these people... If there's a, just a new book called The uh, Transgender Warrior, this is a person who is born in the wrong body but became very hyper-masculine trying to feel comfortable with her body, which she, I mean, she was a Navy SEAL. It's a fascinating book. I, I saw her on Anderson Cooper. And she's a beautiful woman now, but she's been a Navy SEAL her whole life, uh, fighting these feelings of not feeling like her body was right. So I think that, Greg, does that, is that a, did I do a good job? Okay. <laughs> I just wanted to say one thing, just because Catherine's from the D.C. area. I'm with the Columbia Howard County PFLAG chapter, and just since we're in Baltimore now, I just also want to say we have a super wonderful active chapter that meets in uh, Columbia, and also there's a Baltimore County chapter, and both chapters also have not only parent support group for parents of kids that come out as lesbian, gay, or bisexual, but also a separate support group, like you were saying, how it's coming out of the woodwork more, of parents for kids that are gender nonconforming or Mm -hmm. transgender even mm-hmm. as young as three and four, we have kids transitioning at school. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Sorry to... No, that's good. No, I mean, I'm, uh, I mean, PFLAG is a critical organization, and they support everybody in the gay, lesbian, transgender community. I mean, there's no, not... Well, yeah. The yeah. There's Baltimore, and I would, you know, I would suggest, I mean, PFLAG is good... If you, you know, if you, like the woman who has the daughter who might be gay, that might be helpful to you to have somebody else. It's not an uncommon thing for parents to suspect and the kids not feel comfortable coming out. What's yeah. your feeling about like, her as a parent asking her kid? Because I've read different things. Yes, that. well, you know, first of all, you have to think about your relationship. Do you have a relationship with your child as an adult that you can talk about things that are a little prickly? Now, in my experience, my kids do not want to talk about prickly things with me. So you... That's right. So it depends on your relationship. If you feel like this is a relationship where you really talk about a lot of things, then I think you can you can say I've been concerned, and I want you. If that is indeed true, I want you to know that I am very affirming of gay people. You have nothing to worry about. I want you to be. When my son came out, he said, "You know, you always taught me to be honest." And I know that if I don't tell you this, we will never be on the same page. And you want, even if your kids don't want to talk to you, you want them to know you're on the same page. So that is kind of what. Now, does anybody else have any more questions? So we yeah, yeah just cause, so we'll give everybody a chance. Yeah. I had a comment. Uh, three years ago, I was at Chautauqua. And I went to a meeting that was um, the B-flag meeting. Yes. And the guest that day was 
to my knowledge, anyhow, the first transgendered person that I knew. This was now a woman. And I learned, first of all, that you call her a woman. You that do not right. say that. Okay. That's right. She is what she is now. That is right. Now, the Great. thing that worried me about this woman was that she was doing nothing except we're literally wearing a skirt. She had done nothing to feminize herself. And I just wondered if... I think maybe I, I think more of a woman who has become a man than a man that has become a woman. Incidentally, had been married, and the wife. Sure, very common. The wife is, and, and I know Supportive. the the person who comes out as gay often will remain, you know, a good friend with the wife. Right, but in right. this case, this was transgender, yep. uh, and the wife was there, and what have you, and they're still. I guess you would call married. Is that the yeah, right word? Coupled, partnered. Yeah. Right. But anyhow, what what worried me was I wanted to say this gal, uh, you know, let's maybe put on an earring and not have an earring, earrings, and you know, yes, good question. Rings on your finger Greg, and bells on your toes. Greg, would you like to respond to that? You have lots of. Greg has probably as much experience as any professional that I know in treating and and being involved in the transgender community. Do you well, want to answer I that? I mean, basically, it's a process that the individual goes through. And this person sounds like she was at the very beginning stages of the process. Because then they, they have to go through a lot of procedures. They'll have electrolysis or laser facial hair removal. They'll go on hormones. They'll have different types of, of feminizing surgeries. You know, and and it, it is a process, and it takes quite a while, just as it takes quite a while for you know uh, women that were born as women to develop right. their own sense of style and presentation. Yes, yes. Uh, Can I get back, raise the gentleman back there? Hi. Um, hi, how are you? I, I'm curious. I know you're talking about the pro, your program that you all have mm-hmm. um, for parents when they're identifying uh-huh. their, their kids mm-hmm. to be different to some degree. Um, so you're taking them out of the, um, you're socializing them. Well, I don't know if you're doing that, but right. well, essentially like you're creating this microcosm of a world for them to affirm. Feel safe. Yeah. Whoever they are, whatever they want to do, non-threatening you know, world. Um, do you all keep data on, on, on those young people? Well, actually, now we do. What we are, are start. There's a lot of programs now starting to look at doing research. Our program now is involved in research. And, you know, most of the, the kids in our group understand that there are places that are safe for them to express their feminine sides and they understand also that the you know I, I when 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 the parents call me I say there's two message here the good news is that there are boys who like girl things and they are fine and they should love themselves the second message is not everybody knows there's different kinds of boys so it's like being jewish or black or having whatever some that somebody could not like about you there is a reality in the world that says that most people don't understand that. So most of our boys, we have support groups, we have a camp where they go and they can express themselves and they're safe. But they also understand that there are places that if they wear a tutu or they dress up, that it's not going to be appreciated. So kids learn that from a very early age. That, as my husband always says, you know, if you live in an anti-Semitic neighborhood, don't wear a yarmulke or move to one. (laughs) Unfortunately, there's no, well, San Francisco is probably the closest we can get. So most of the kids do what we call the compromise approach. They understand that there's nothing wrong with them, but that many people do not understand that there's more than one way to be a boy. And that's what they do. There are other parents that are very, you know, they say, you do whatever you want, and if anybody says anything, I'm going to take care of them. Or they get in the schools and they have programs to say to kids, you know what? There's not one way to be a boy, and pink is not a girl color. So get over it. You know, they help them understand that there is more than one way. 
but it's at the beginning. And it's, you know, the, all this bullying stuff, really, the gay community has contributed immensely from their own bad experiences of being bullied as kids. They have been so instrumental in all of these anti-bullying things that we experience now. It isn't perfect, but it's so much better than it used to be. So, yeah. Now there's uh, this gentleman over here. Yeah, okay. So we I should... One, I had one question, then I thought of another one. But um, um, do you think other countries uh, are worse as far as um, persecution of, of homosexual? I think some of them are. Yes. Like uh, oh, Muslim countries? Definitely. Some other you can get killed. From yes. Some of that. I mean, so if I you think, look... I think we're a little yeah. bit progressive in certain... Oh, yes. We are very progressive now. I mean, you know, we're, we're very progressive, especially on both of the coasts. Hmm. We've come a long way. I mean, and I, I do a lot of traveling, so there's a lot of travel pieces in there, and I network. I mean, in Africa, there are countries that, you know, if you're gay, you can go to jail and get killed you can get the you know it's like a capital a capital offense they in iran there are gay men having sex change operations so they can be they can get married and be with the people that they love so is, is europe is europe better is, is the europeans better than us is, I well mean, more advanced yeah, or not or about the same well you know what i think that in my experience traveling that there's a difference between toleration and affirmation. And I think that Europe has been better in terms of tolerating their, you know, gay people being a little different. But I think that they all, but they did it, but it's, it's different just tolerating people. We tolerate colds and taxes or whatever, right? That's different than affirming people. And I think in the United States, we are not, we are trying to move past acceptance to affirmation. The gay community has contributed forever so many wonderful things and half the time we don't even know that they were gay so I think that the Europeans were less likely to beat people up but then but they also can lag behind in terms of this idea of gay marriage but everybody's coming around to this now I mean look it's really a, a big thing if you read I went to Spain and had a, met with parents there and the parents are like marry marry I don't I mean my kids they shouldn't be married. I mean marriage is different. But you know what? The next year gay marriage was passed in Spain despite the fact which is a Catholic country. And the and, and the and you know so you, who knows. But things have changed a lot. Yes. I mean, just want to make sure okay now well let me now, we, Greg, tell me when we have to stop. Because I'm going to be here. I'm signing books. We can, we can, maybe this should be our last question because I don't want to, we, and then you can, we, I'll still be here. You, if you have questions, you could ask me. Then I'm going to throw in a third one. Okay. I'll start with that one. Um, on my daughter's Facebook page, she refers to somebody else. There's, there's a book in process called The Gender Book. Yes. Do you know about it? Well, I... I'm trying to figure out how to... You can, yes. You can... The gender pamphlet. Okay, right. It looks right. like it's really good. Yes. Um, so I'm just going to mention that. So my second yes. question is... I think my daughter is very shy. I believe she's had a diagnosis of social anxiety. And she's very bright. I mean, actually, when she was in, in, at Hopkins... Right. She took a course in gender something or other. Uh-huh. So she's... Questioning. Right. Um, hmm. There's automatic acceptance. If you go to a gay club, you know, you came out, you're here, you're gay, you're one of us. And I think our culture today really, you, people need an identity. I'm a Republican, I'm a, right, I'm a Muslim, right, right. I'm a... Yes, well, that's, that is, that is, is a, 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 right, a, a, a that's true. Head. Right. Um, yes. I guess my... my so, so I'm questioning about that. And the other thing is, are there people who are simply bi? 
They like to sleep with yes. men. They like to sleep with women. And that happens, uh, that's very much and my hunch more is common with women than it is men. are probably yeah. there, but right. we've been right. schooled yeah. that you just don't do that. Now, I think that I think that we could talk about this a little bit later. I just I because I, so I think we're we're I we're going to be imposing on the library's wonderful generosity. I just want to tell you there's a booklet that is on the web on uh, a, a children's hospital about are you concerned about your child's gender behaviors? Uh, there's this book called "Be Yourself" from PFLAG, and believe it or not. Now, in the this is a book about this was in the New York Times magazine cover thing about our program, and it says, "What's wrong with a boy who wears a dress?" So that so we are out there talking about these things, and also in the New Yorker, there is a there is also these are very recent. This is January. This is August of last year. These are we're talking about this. This is the the world is changing, and we are a part of it. And so I want to end with that, and I hope you read the book. You will learn things, even though you think you know everything. I think people who know everything, they say to me, you know, I didn't know that, I didn't know that, because I am basically a nurse, and I am a teacher. So thank you very much for coming. I'm so appreciative. I'm so appreciative. Very appreciative.